Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I love it when we have repeat guests. Uh, one, because we vet the heck out of them. And two, it's because I bring people back and we at Proudmouth bring people back because they're adding amazing value. And our guest today is no different. Stephen Worshing, who many of you have probably seen him speak. He's spoken on stages all over the place. He is a CFP, but most importantly, he is the founder of a client-driven practice. Now, what makes a client-driven practice different is it helps advisors communicate their unique brand by implementing and actually listening to their freaking clients, uh, which I can tell you right now as an ex-coach, recovering coach, I sure as hell never did that. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. What a concept, right? Listening I, to your clients. How about that? What the hell? That's <laughs> well, it's that's it's really important because, well, I, if, if I could just launch into this this thought, the world has changed. And we'll, we're, you and I are going to talk a little bit about how it's changed in a few ways. But you know, one of the significant things, and this is why being client driven is so important these days, is that, that what's taken over, what's really gotten a lot more important during the pandemic is all of these services like Amazon that are customized to you. And they have, they have technology, they have algorithms that, 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 that co-create the experience with you, right? If 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 you if you as an advisor are not listening to your clients and 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 evolving your experience based on that feedback, then you run the risk of losing relevance to to folks. Well, I, I, let's let's even take that with that one one step farther, which is, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here to to gently poke you in the eye. But Stephen, come on, they all say that they're client driven. They are always have the fiduciary. They have the best best interest of their clients. They're always listening to clients, but most of them don't because they don't do the one thing that you do as your major feedback or originating source. So let's talk about that. Yeah. It's, and it's ask, right? It's, and, and, and you're, you're specifically talking about advisory boards. If you think you're client driven, okay, great. When was the last time you systematically ask people what's most valuable about our relationship of, of all the things we do for you, the services and how we do them, what's most valuable. And still, an alarmingly small percentage of advisors can can answer that yes, and here's what they said. Dude, I remember bringing up advisory councils, which is what I used to call, you call it advisory boards, when I was a coach. And, and so out of the 30-so-odd people that I was actively coaching, I probably did four or five of them, and you and I spent lots of time. By the way, I just yeah, want everybody sure. to know, Steve and I are friends, and we talk all the time. And we talk about a lot of this stuff, and, and the fear is is the largest thing they're absolutely terrified that their clients are going to say that they're not happy but don't you want to know that dude <laughs> well yeah but yeah first if they feel that way wouldn't you want to know because whether you know or not it's kind of like it's it's like the little kid now this is going to go out audio so people can't see this but i'm going to put my hands over my face it's like the little kid going you can't see me <laughs> right uh, they're still thinking it yeah. but here's the point it's they're not unhappy with you you got all their money they wouldn't do that if they were unhappy with what they were getting. So cut it out. Stop being insecure. It's, you know, it's 
they love you. And the hard, the, the hard part, the challenge of an advisory board is getting some constructive feedback. People are worried about, oh, they're going to say something bad in front of other clients. It, well, no, the hard part is getting critical feedback out of them because they don't want to say the, the hard stuff. But it's more, it's, more, it's more critical than ever because we talk about what kind of competition are we going to get from Amazon and Google and Facebook and those kinds of things. You know what, dude, you're already competing with Amazon. Oh, yeah. And it's not because they're doing a robo-advisor, but it's because they're resetting expectations of clients. I, I was taught, I was so, you know, I like to bike. Yeah. And so I bought a used bike. I had it in the store to get a fitting and get some changes on it. And so I'm, t- I'm chatting with the owner and they, it, there are no bikes to buy because with the pandemic, everybody bought out the inventory. And now we got supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. I tried to buy a, a bike for my wife in May. It's going to come in in January and they ordered it last August. So I was asking the owner, so, I, so how's, how are you doing? I mean, I know you got no inventory to sell, so how's it going? And he, he said, it's okay. We've got, we're doing a lot of service. We're doing a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff. He said, but I got to tell you, Amazon is killing me. I'm like, what? Because everybody's buying stuff online. He said, no, because it used to be that somebody would call us up and they'd say, I want these modifications to my bike. And we'd say, great, we'll order the parts. We'll get them in in a couple of weeks. You can bring it in and we'll do it. And that was fine. He says, now they call up and they say, I want these changes on my bike. And we say, great, we'll, we'll, we'll order them. We'll have them in about a week and we'll be ready. And they're outraged. It's like, no, I wanted to bring it in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, dude, we don't have the parts. And everybody's so used to, they're, they're used to the, the promise of prime, right? Anything you want day after tomorrow, that and Netflix and all of these things are, they're changing client expectations. And if you think that doesn't apply to you, you're going to lose relevance. How did you, you did advisory boards through COVID, right? Which I'm sure a lot of people are I like, did. nobody was doing anything. No, there were a lot of people doing lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> people hired you to the advisory board. Actually, I'm not going to COVID because I want to talk about the fact that you did the advisory boards because of the biggest issue, which is if you are a financial services professional attempting to do your advisory board in front of your really good clients, right? They are probably not going to be as honest with you as they would we but would be with an objective third party, which is why bringing somebody like Steven in is so vital. Talk about that before we talk about the COVID angle, please. Well, actually, I, I, I think you're making an assumption that, that that's different than the way I do it. I always have the advisors sitting right in the room. Okay. I know that there, there are two schools of thought about this. They both have good reasons for thinking the way that they do. I differ with a lot of people. You know, there are people that say, you know, if you want honest feedback, don't be in the room. What we do is I, I think it needs to be a conversation between the advisor and the client. And I think the advisor ought to be in there, not, not just to hear it firsthand, but to be able to ask questions in response to that mm. and have a conversation about it. But, but more than that, we do special things at the beginning of, of especially a first meeting where, where we, we set up a dynamic so that that can happen. So one of the things I try to do is to find something that one of the board members has already expressed an interest in changing. Either they don't like something or they wish something was a little different. And we try to dig that out so that as early in the meeting as possible, I can kind of bait that person. I, I try to be a little sneaky like that. And I try to put that out there and hope that I can get them to say, well, you know, what I'd really like is, or I wish this was different. And I've already told the advisor what to do. Right. So I say, well, that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. And we dig into it for a little bit, a little bit. And then I say to the advisor and this, by the way, if you're going to do it with with somebody other than me, this is how you answer that. I don't care what the issue is. Here's what you say. 
I dig into it a little bit. I turn to the advisor and I say, well, Matt, what do you think? And I've already told you ahead of time that this is your response. I'm really glad you brought that up. I didn't realize how strongly you felt about that. I can't tell you what we're going to do about that. But what I promise is when we get back to the office, that's at the top of the agenda. Yeah. And then we move on. Because by doing that, you've just told everybody in the room, hey, it's totally cool if you want to say that stuff. We really want to hear it. We're going to take action on it. We're going to look into that. I think I think where my my strong position in that statement, Stephen, was the fact that you as the objective third person are running the yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. I do think that it also makes the advisor look very good that they brought in an expert in advisory boards to really sit down. And and honestly, I didn't know that you had the advisor sitting in the room. That's a really interesting and I love that you teach the advisor on how to field that first question or concern. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. That's that's the whole that we, there's a seven a seven session coaching program that leads up to that first meeting and the last coaching session is all about what they have to do in the meeting. Here's your role, here's what you say, here's what you don't say, here's what you do. Because there's a hundred ways that, that an advisor can inadvertently shut down feedback and we want to we do everything that we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay, so what did you learn during COVID, right? So when you were doing these advisory boards, what what were some of the things that you found out that are applicable to really trends that we need to pay attention to from here on out? What we found was that people's perceptions generally have changed during the pandemic. And, and the biggest one, of course, is their receptivity to video conferencing. When we used to do, there, there would be times when we would ask advisory boards, we'd, we'd show, we'd demo them systems of video conferencing and the e-money decision center and all that kind of stuff and say, what would you think of this? For the most part, I mean, different client bases are different. Generally, they were kind of lukewarm on it. Oh, I like going in and see my, seeing my advisor. I like going to the office and that kind of stuff. Now that, we, now that everybody's been forced to do it for a year, now they're like, this is fine. I, this is okay. And one of the things that changed for us, because we had to adapt a lot of the stuff that we were doing, because, you know, like a lot of places, we shifted to doing all the virtual, all the client advisory boards virtually. Now we do either one. By the way, we also found out that a lot of advisors were not that interested in doing a virtual board. But now for some of them, it works out really well because some advisors have clients that are spread across multiple states, right? And even move, I mean, I'm out on the road again doing them, but but there are some that, that want to keep doing it virtually. And that's what we found with, with clients too, is that they're a lot more open now to doing it and to, to meeting by Zoom and those kinds of things. And, and it kind of dep depends on the age of your client base and it depends on the traffic in your area. If, if I go to suburban Western New York, where I am, getting around is no big deal. So yeah, let's meet. But if I'm in Atlanta, Washington, DC, places like that, and they have to fight for an hour and a half of traffic to get to the meeting, uh, they're like, yeah, I just assume do it virtually. But what we're finding is that a lot of people on, you know, as a general rule are saying, we'd like to see you once a year. But any other time that we have need to schedule a meeting, Zoom is fine. So there, there are some things like that, that that are really changing. But we're also finding that people, some people's goals are changing. Their perception of their of their goals are changing. You know, some people are, are wanting to accelerate retirement because so so much harder to 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 operate in this environment. Some people are putting off retirement because now that they've been home with their spouse for a year, they're like, maybe this isn't such a great idea. Maybe maybe working isn't so bad. And then some people are, are saying we want to accelerate our, our goals because we realize 
we want to spend a lot more time with the family or we want to, you know, so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how people's outlooks have changed. We also, one of the things that we're surveying and, and it's been really interesting. We, we ask a few questions. What I, what, what concerns me more now is fill in the blank. What concerns me less is fill in the blank. And my top concern right now is whatever we've gotten some, answers on those things that we weren't expecting. And they're really interesting to dig into when we get the advisory board together. Some people worry about governmental policies. Some worry about what the pandemic, what the, what COVID is going to do to the economy. If it doesn't affect the advice and it may not, but it, 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 it may affect what kinds of client education sessions you put together, what kind of communications you send out, that kind of thing. How often are you recommending to do the the advisory boards for an advisor? Is there a do you do it more often at the beginning or do you is it always the same run rate? Help us with that. It will often be a little more often at the beginning because you unearth a lot of things that you can work on. And the longer you do it, you've pretty much vetted a lot of stuff. And so it's for vetting new ideas and 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 that kind of stuff. But you also don't want to do them so close together that you don't have time to act on stuff. It's important that you schedule them far enough apart so that when you get the feedback, you can do stuff. You can you can you can respond to it and and make some changes before you get back together. Because the most frustrating thing for an advisory board member is, you know, that you're asking more questions, but it doesn't look like you've done anything with the feedback they gave you last time. And I've actually had clients explicitly ask me that in meetings, which none of us feels good about. It's like, sure. well, you know, what are you doing with all this? Because I mean, you keep bringing us back, but we don't really see any changes. That's that's like the worst possible thing I can hear in a meeting. But to, to answer your question directly, generally, firms that are doing this on an ongoing basis do them twice a year. Okay. In the first year, you might do an extra one. Okay. Now, you said there's seven coaching sessions before the actual advisory council itself, mm -hmm. or the advisory board. What happens afterwards? After the board meeting? I send a report to the advisor, which sort of summarizes what I thought were the high points of the conversation, the important points. And I, and I put a, a bunch of recommendations in there as well as here's how you can utilize this. Here's some of the things you can consider doing. And then I we have a meeting with the, with the advisor and whoever else was participating in the project. Uh, the big question there is, okay, so what are the action items that you want to do based on this? Here are some things that you could do. These are some ideas from us. What else did you hear? What are you going to do? And then I, I, I encourage them to add those action items to the report that we prepare for the participants and that they send it out to everybody. Then they've got their marching orders between now and the next meeting. And the first thing that we do in the next meeting, by the way, is to give them an update on the action items from last time. So we give them a firm update. What's new at the firm? Who's had a baby? What awards have we gotten? And here are our action items from last time. And this is where they all stand. You're in the the, the follow-up board meeting, right? And yep. you're going over that that pre-stuff. Hey, this is what's going on. Hey, these are the things that you brought up. These are the things that we fixed. What happens if something that that one of the board members thought was more vital than you did and you didn't fix it? What what happens in that situation? How do you address that? How do you quell the advisor's concern that, oh my God, they're gonna start mutinying me. Uh, I don't think that's a word, but I make a word on this podcast all the time. So, so br break that down a little bit, please. Advisory boards, uh, clients trust their advisors. If the advisor says, here's what we worked on because we thought these were the most important things, the clients will be, you know, generally will be accepting of that. It's also, by the way, it's, it's totally fine if you haven't completed something or haven't done something that you promised from last time. If you say, this is what you told us, this is what we looked into. It's been bananas. The market's been volatile or 
we hired three new people or whatever it was. So we haven't had time, but it's still on our radar. We haven't forgotten. We heard you. That's totally fine to say. And as long as you don't put it off too far, the, the clients are there with you, right? Now, do you help the advisor communicate progress along the way, right? So if you're doing two of these a year, there's a pretty nice gap in between. And let's say you complete one of the things that the that the advisory board said that they wanted you to make adjustments to. Do you proactively communicate that with people or do you wait until the next board meeting? Well, I think that there are three or four opportunities for communication through this whole process. One of them is when it's new, one of them is we're putting together a client advisory board because we want to build the firm that you want to work with, and therefore we want you to have a voice in the process. And then when you have the meeting, you can send out a communication that says, here's what we heard. Here's what our client advisory board told us. And then when you figure out what you want to do with that feedback, then you can communicate, this is what they told us, and this is what we're planning on doing. And then when you do it, you send out another one saying, you told us, we heard you, now we've done it. This is what you're going to see that's new. So there, there are like four opportunities to, to, to talk about how responsive you are and how important the clients are to you. Sure. Now, this, let's take this all the way back to the beginning, Stephen. And this, this is what makes me smile about your process and how every advisor in North America, and you've, by the way, for everybody, Stephen's actually done these in other countries too. If you're listening from another English-speaking country, I don't, you don't speak anything else fluently, do you? No, but I will say I'm going to be doing my fourth country next month, which is England. So now I've done Canada, the US, Mexico, and England, and they don't, English is not the main language in Mexico. So that right. was kind of interesting. Yeah. That was very interesting. Ooh. Thankfully, the advisor is bilingual, and most of the people on the board were bilingual. So it worked out fine. I will wander outside the English speaking world, but I'm not sure how, how many of those countries listen to your podcast, but I don't even, uh, I really don't, but, but I'll do but, everything to make sure that it gets out there. Well, the, the <laughs> idea though, that the client driven practice is based off of finding a way to take the feedback from the clients. Well, first off, getting feedback from clients in the right way and then utilizing that feedback to solidify and communicate the uniqueness of a person's brand let's talk about some of the other stuff that you do because the advisory board is really just a component of this entire client-driven practice that you have so let's let's unpack the client-driven practice a little bit more please yeah well so the client well the, the client-driven practice is based largely on that client feedback component however we also do as i said we help client we help advisors develop and build unique brands informed by client feedback. So we'll do, for example, we help advisors put together brand frameworks. And the brand framework is the story of the hero of your story, who is the client. And so we, what we do is we try to help you put together what that story is, which, which forms the foundation for any marketing that you do. So who's the target client? What is their main challenge? Because really it's it's more important to talk about the challenge than the description of the client. It's, it's, it's one thing to say, well, you're a doctor and we work with doctors and so you should work with us. And, and for a lot of doctors, that's, that's enough reason to have a conversation with you at least. But if you can say, listen, you're a doctor and because of that, you probably struggle with the crazy work hours. You probably struggle with malpractice liability. You probably struggle with the big institutions competing with your individual practice, whatever it is, right? What one of the one of the fascinating things that I found is 
If you can communicate to a, to a target client that you understand their problem with depth and nuance, they will take it on faith you know what to do. So you don't even have to talk about your fancy financial planning program or your sophisticated asset management program. If you can get them to the point where they say, this guy knows me, this guy understands, they won't ask for any more proof because if you understand it that well, you must know how to get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I want everybody to know, and, and maybe you don't know this, is that Stephen's actually an active practicing financial services professional also. So not only does he do all of this stuff for all of you, our community, but he also does this stuff for himself. And we're really happy because one of the great things is, is since I've known Stephen for, I don't know, five, six years now, yeah. we, we talked while ago about you creating a course for our academy so that advisors can learn how to do the advisory board if they truly want to do it themselves would you mind sharing a little bit about the course you created sure it it covers it covers the 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 basic principles of how to do it and it's the same things that we cover in the coaching program that leads up to that first meeting so it's who to invite to your board how to compose your board how to ask them so that you can maximize the likelihood they'll accept. I hear from from advisors all the time. I hear, oh, my clients are very busy professionals. They don't have time. Listen, I've done boards full of doctors. I've done boards with Fortune 100 senior executives. I've done I've done boards with the busiest professionals that you can that you can think of. And you know what? When you go to somebody and say, I want to learn how to do a better job for you, they're in. They will make time. Anyway, so we cover that. We cover what to put on your first agenda. We, we talk about how to select the right venue. And then we talk a little bit about a couple other things, but we also talk about what you should be doing in that meeting so that you can maximize the feedback. And we do that service where we will take you through the coaching program and then we'll run your meeting for you. And then we give you these seven deliverables, but we also sell a DIY kit. You want to do it yourself? 300 bucks, you can have a kit of your own sure. and you can, you can, it, it takes you all the way through it. And we're going to make sure that we have shown in our show notes, everybody in the summary of the podcast, that we'll have links to everything. The the idea, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on now, it's getting the close to the end of 2021 is because a lot of people, Stephen, are doing planning for 2022 and adding this, this feedback loop, this opportunity for you to really take the pulse of your clients. And I'm very biased because I love what you do and I know how powerful it is. But I also know that the advisors that you've done it for that I did a very short, limited amount of these, it changed their practice, right? It made them more referable. It made the clients way more engaged, bought way more into the mission, vision and purpose of the company, all of that stuff, which is what everybody listening to this wants. And and they get more referrals, right? get more referrals, right. Uh, What's the lead time? The podcast drops. And they say, okay, well, I'm doing my 2021 planning. How much lead time should they give themselves in order to execute their first board if they hire you or if they do it themselves? Eight weeks, because you want to learn enough of the principles. You want, you want to get, you want to know who to invite and you want to know how to invite and you want to have practiced that a few times before you call a live client. And then you want to give them about six weeks notice because we want to minimize the the calendar conflicts. If you get if you get less than a month to something and again, if you're one of those advisors as busy professionals as clients, you get within a month you're going to start having trouble lining everybody up on one date to get together. So, 8 week planning time that gives you 2 weeks to master the first two elements of the program and then you can start calling and when you call and you get it on the calendar then you can work through the other principles as you put the details of the meeting together. Wonderful. You've got the DIY 
We've got your program in the academy, but I'm assuming if somebody's going to hire you and fly you out to their location, that that you have an ideal client. Who who hires you, man? We we do most of our work in either the RI the independent RIA space or the hybrid space, and and the sweet spot is 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 one to five advisors and and support staff. We we've I've done some for for wirehouse folks. I've done some. We're we're planning two of them now for for career life agency people. But most of what we do is is in the RIA or hybrid space, mostly because it's easier to get it done within the compliance system. I used to be a compliance officer. I know all about that. I know how to put these together so that it'll it'll you know it'll go through unless you have an extremely restrictive system. So that's that's the the, the RIAs and the hybrids are the are the firms that can do the most tailoring to their service. If people say we would rather pay you this way than that way, we'd rather have these kinds of things incorporated into the plan. RIAs can do they have the the the, the freedom to do that. People who work for bigger companies are often constricted in that way. So that tends to be where I hang out most. Well, and those are our listeners, brother, right? I mean, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show. We specifically like to work with the hybrid model or the RIA just because of compliance. The larger mm-hmm. the larger companies just they don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle whatever they need to handle from a podcasting standpoint. I can't even imagine their and I'm air quoting liability concerns that they're going to have with a with an advisory board, which is utterly ridiculous because it's going to end up. Yeah, and it, and it's not really liability stuff. It's it's like like I said, we we survey board members before the meeting, and that gives us really interesting stuff, so we can dig dig farther into the questions more quickly. But a lot of these the the the, the national national I one of them is in Canada, so it's not even national, but it's. The, the the employee based firms, where where we had the the where we had trouble was that we couldn't send out the survey on our platform. The advisor had to send it out themselves because they had concerns about privacy and confidentiality and that kind of stuff. So it's not really the liability of getting that feedback; it's the communications rules. Well, I just I've heard advisors say to me, "Well, Matt, what happens if somebody brings up something? Is that going to be looked at as a client complaint?" So there are two big two big things. First of all, if it's not in writing, it's not really a complaint. And I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of compliance officers that just had their hair stand up and they want to give me hate mail. Fine, Steve at theclientdrivenpractice.com, go for it, dude. But the bigger but the bigger issue is if you know how to ask the question, it's not a complaint, right? So if you say, "How can we better do this?" Or how would you most like to see this happen? Or what would, how would you most like us to put this together? No matter what they say, it's not a complaint, right? People are not going to get in the room and say, oh, I asked for a check and it took you a month and I have to get it. I mean, they don't say stuff like that, right? It's, it, that's ridiculous. But so a lot of it is just in, or if you, say, if you, if you go in there and say, what can we do better? Or what, what didn't go well in the past year, which are two questions we would never, ever ask, yeah, I could see how somebody could say something that could potentially be construed as a complaint. So a lot of it is in how you ask the questions. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I firmly believe that they should be hiring somebody like you to go in and do that. All right. Drop your digits, dude. What's the first off? Everybody should be following you on LinkedIn because you're always posting really wonderful things uh, that are very, very wildly applicable to the life of an advisor. But if somebody wants to reach out to you, Steve, what's the best way for them to reach out? Just go to clientdrivenpractice.com. And uh, you can find all of my contacts and socials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, our, the blog lives there. 
Matt, as you know, Julie and I do that podcast, Becoming Referrable. You know, you're welcome to, to listen to that, becomingreferrable.com. And, and we've had you on the podcast and we should probably have you on again at some point because uh, we love, that. We love <laughs> talking with you and you've always got great stuff to say. So we'll make sure that we have that in, in, the, in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, come on, everybody. How, how many podcasts are you listening to that's directly speaking to you as an advisor besides this one, right? And so add that to your list. Julie is also an absolute genius. She could quite possibly be one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And, and on top of that, she's wonderfully approachable and just a wonderful human being. And as are you. So everybody, please make sure you go to clientdriftonpractice.com, connect with Stephen on LinkedIn. And most importantly, when you're planning for 2022, or I don't care when you're listening to this, it could be 2089, right? <laughs> think about it and think about when is the last time that you meaningfully asked your clients what you could do better to make their life better? What, what sort of things could you make adjustments in your practice that would make you become more referable? And for those of you who are saying, well, Matt, I'm already a client driven practice. You're not, if you're not soliciting feedback from them directly in a formalized manner with an action plan attached to it. So Steven, once again, brother, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you always. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, do, if you haven't given us a rating, please do. If uh, you know somebody who needs to hear this, click the share button. So for Stephen, client-driven practice, and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how you can be your own loud, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend our educational webinars, and sign up for our new Influence Accelerator Academy, where you too can learn how to truly be an influencer in your space. Have a wonderful day.